0: Thank you, Miss Melissa. Well, take your Bibles this evening and go to Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter, just kidding. Mark 4. Mark 4. Just seeing if you're awake. The Lord gave us a wonderful morning this morning. The Lord's given us a wonderful week. And I'm so glad to see our brother Noel back there on the back row. Pray for him. Prayed for him this morning, and uh, he was able to come home this afternoon. It's been a great week. Let me just begin by just praising the Lord for some of the works that he's been doing. You know, not everything happens here on Sundays. A lot of things happen throughout the week, and uh, God works in people's hearts, and we're going to see that actually tonight in our text. Um, Even when we're sleeping, God is still working. Isn't that an awesome thought? Um, But this week... um, Little Tylee, who is right over here, um, was on Wednesday evening. Of course, you know, these kids, Tylee's in our school every day. She hears uh, the Bible, the gospel over and over again. She's here in children's church. She hears it over and over again. She's here on Wednesday nights. She hears it over and over again. Um, But this past Wednesday night, her and her grandma was, I'm sorry, wrong name, Nanny. Okay, not a grandma, a nanny. Nana, Nana, her and her Nana, I guess that sounds younger, it doesn't sound any younger to me, but um, her and her Nana, let's get back to the spiritual part, all right, her and her Nana were in the car on the way to uh, church, and on the way to the car, on, on the way here to church on Wednesday night, they were having a conversation, and Tylee prayed and trusted Christ as her Savior. And God has been doing that work. It wasn't even prompted by Nana; it was prompted by Tylee. And God had been working in her heart and preparing her uh, for uh, salvation. And she came to faith in Christ. And then I don't think she's here tonight. But Ophelia came to me. I-, I love that God's just doing a work in our children's hearts because we, you know, we pray for them every time we have a prayer meeting here. We pray for our children, that because many of them uh, haven't come to the place of salvation yet, of understanding and true faith and repentance in Christ. And we never want to push that, but also when they're ready, we don't want to discourage it either because the Bible talks about a childlike faith. And, and the problem is with a lot of adults is that if they could have childlike faith, they would be saved, but because they've got so many blocks uh, in their adulthood, they can't get past them. But Ophelia, several months ago, in the car, had also um, given her heart and life to Christ and trusted Christ as her Savior, and God has just been growing her, and she wanted to come and talk to me about it this week, and so she came into the office and said, I just want to tell you that she told me all about it. You know, girls, every detail about the car ride and, and how God had been preparing her, and Man, uh, Matt and Misty gave her the rundown. You know, they really wanted to to make sure this was of the Lord, and and she got saved. And she said, "I just want to tell everybody about Jesus, and I want to tell my friends about Jesus, and I want to be baptized because I know that's telling people that I'm a Christian." And uh, I didn't really have to explain baptism to her; she explained it to me. So. Um, we were hoping that she was going to be able to be baptized today, but she is not here today, and so very soon she's going to be baptized. And then, uh, on our salvation list for months, we have been praying, and at every prayer meeting that we have been praying for a man named Jack. He is um, the Perry's neighbor, and uh, the Perry's have been praying for him. We took a basket by Christmas time and just planting seeds of the gospel. And they have and praying for him and um, Miss Christina and Brother Gwendoff were, were very concerned this week because hospice had been called in and Jack is just at the point of death and, and um, family members coming in to say their, their last goodbyes to him. And he's kind of in and out of it now, I, I believe, but Miss um, Christina went over there today and started talking to the wife, Miss Deborah, who is a born-again Christian, and she was sharing with Miss Christina. We didn't know it, but several weeks ago or months ago, uh, he had been to a church here in town, and Jack had gotten saved several months ago. And so we praise the Lord for that. We just need to rejoice, right? Praise the Lord. God answers prayer. He is saving souls. And then it's good to have guests here this evening. Good to have these ladies that I met just before the service back here. and and others. We had three first-time guest families that were here this morning. I can't remember, honestly, the last Sunday morning that we have not had not just guests, but first-time guests in our services. The Lord just keeps bringing people to us, and I met a couple this morning as they were going out, and I asked them, you know, how long have you been here? They said about three weeks, and uh, I said, where did you move from? California. I'm like, this is probably the fourth family from California in the last few months and part of the mass exodus, and they said, it's, it was the Lord. We moved from Jamestown, California to Jamestown, Tennessee, and so they are here. They were here this morning, and it was good to meet them, and then the Woods, who sat right over here, uh, just moved from the other side of Nashville, like the Franklin Spring Hill area, uh, Miss, Miss Jessica Cooper has been this week. After the last few sermons on Mark four, uh, she has really just been convicted about getting the the seed out of the barn and sharing the faith her faith. And you know it begins just simple. And I shared this with you and encourage you to you know, just start with an invite because invitations are evangelism because you're bringing you're inviting them to come hear the gospel. And um, this morning I met a lady who was here for the first time um, and asked her how she heard about our church. And she said a woman named Jessica in Walmart invited me this week to church, and she was here this morning for the first time. So listen, it works. It works. If you get the seed out of the barn, it will work. Some will fall on good ground, as we're going to see again tonight, and and God will bring forth that fruit. And it's so encouraging to, uh, to see that. Miss Candy Coleman told me I was back there hugging Noel, and she said, you know, she, she called me over there. She said, your wife is especially beautiful tonight. And I said, I think she's beautiful all the time, but I agree with you. She's especially beautiful tonight. So you're right, Miss, Miss Candy. I agree with you 100%. All right, let's get into the Word, shall we? Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Jesus is continuing his teaching in parables as he has just began in the first part of chapter 4. And as we said, a couple little different uh, definitions of of a parable. I like this one. It's a simple, practical story that illustrates significant spiritual truth. And so Jesus is talking in these everyday stories that the people would understand, and he is paralleling, paralleling them to a spiritual, biblical truth. And let me encourage you, because we're just beginning to go into these parables as we go through them. I want to encourage you in, in three things. First of all, to listen from the original hearer's perspective. Remember those that Jesus is talking to and kind of try to put yourself in the story and and, and, and not in 2023, but back then when he was speaking, because you'll understand the parables more if you understand the setting in which he is Talking about them and then look for the main point because there's typically a main point in the parable, and we're gonna look at several of the parables tonight, and you'll see the main points in the parables. But then this is the, the crucial thing because it's not just about learning, it is about applying it to your life, and let the truth of that parable change your life as we go through that. Let it the application of it change you. So Mark here moves from a parable about sowing and seeds. And soils to a parable about the kingdom of God. And I've entitled this section, The King and His Kingdom. And before we read the text, I think it would be good for us to try to understand what the kingdom of God is. Because when you say the kingdom of God, you probably have a very very large, maybe a very different thinking of what the kingdom of God is. And it is somewhat hard to kind of define and narrow down. And I like this definition that the kingdom of God is the redemptive rule and reign of God in Jesus Christ. And we'll explain that as we go along. But would you say that with me? The kingdom of God is the redemptive rule and reign of God in Jesus. And tonight is going to be a little bit more teaching. And I hope that you'll follow along there in the guide that's in your bulletin or that they gave out at the door. Jesus is speaking here of how God is using His reigning and ruling power in the world for this purpose, to redeem the world through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. And the reason that there is a need for redemption is because we have all sinned. We have all rebelled against the king of the kingdom. And that rebellion and that sin has separated us from the king. And if we die in that rebellion, if we die in our sin, then we will face the eternal judgment of the ruling and reigning kingdom. The truth is this, you will either and I will either, or we have either trusted and accepted and put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior or one day we will meet Him as our judge. And listen, I would rather face Him and accept Him as my Savior than have to face Him as my judge. But the good news of the Bible is that the kingdom has made a way, as we talked about this morning, the king has made a way for us to be redeemed. The king has come to us in the person of Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, who lived a sinless life, even though he had no sin himself, he died for our sin. Three days later, he rose victorious over death so that anyone who will put their faith in Jesus Christ and repent of their rebellion, they will not have to face that eternal judgment, that eternal death, but they can have eternal life. And that is what redemption is, right? It is someone paying the price for something. It is someone rescuing us, delivering us from something. And so God has made a way for all of us to be restored into relationship With God, the King, how? Through the Redeemer, who is Jesus Christ. And so I like that definition of the kingdom of God. Again, that it is the redemptive rule and reign of God in Jesus Christ. Our eternal destiny hinges on what we do with Jesus. All of eternity hinges on what we do with with Jesus Christ, and so the kingdom of God is the redemptive rule and reign of God in Jesus. now in a few chapters, listen to what Jesus says, Mark chapter ten and verse fifteen, verily, which means truly, I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a oh this is interesting as a what little child, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter. Therein, he shall not enter into the kingdom of God. When you practice childlike faith and you embrace the redemptive rule and reign of God in Jesus, you enter into eternal life with God as the king of your life. So the kingdom of God is both a present reality. It is a present reality that the king has come. His redemptive work is spreading. This is why Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. It is a present reality, but it is also a future hope. In other words, the king is coming back and his redemption will be complete with a new heaven and a new earth with his perfect justice and righteousness ruling and reigning. So Mark is talking about that present and future kingdom, the kingdom of God. That's what he's discussing in our text. And before we start just talking about the kingdom of God, I wanted you to get a grasp on what the kingdom is. Of God is. And we're just going to look at three things. Let's, let's read the first section here, beginning in verse number 21, and we'll go down through verse number 25 to begin with. And he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel? The word a there really should be the word the. It's, it's a definite article in the in the Greek. It should say the candle, the the light. It's not just a light, it is the light. It is the candle. Is a candle, is the candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, we've heard this before, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath, to him shall be given. And he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. So the first thing that Jesus wants to teach us through this first parable is that we should receive the king's word humbly and eagerly. Receive the king's word humbly and eagerly. It's a powerful, it's a very practical parable. Jesus says, uh, is a candle, is the candle meant to provide light in darkness? If it's meant to provide light in darkness, then why are we hiding it? The candle or, or light, of course, being His Word, presenting His kingdom and the redemptive work of His kingdom, of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a part of the kingdom of God, are you, this is the point of the parable, Are you going to humbly accept the gift of the light and allow it to show you God's redemption plan, the the kingdom of God and his wisdom, or are you going to proudly reject it, hide it, say, I'll figure it out on my own. It'll all work out and magically hope at the end that it's somehow going to work out for your good. Listen, it's not. The the point here is, is that you have to to accept the light that is given to you. Again, in verse number 23, he says, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, don't be so proud as to stick your your spiritual fingers in your spiritual ears and say, I've got a better way than the Bible. This is the light, amen? This is the lamp. And then in verse 24 and 25, and we saw this last time, if you hear... I will give you more understanding, right? So I will reveal, remember last parable? I will reveal through this parable if you'll open your ears and hear. But if you refuse to hear, I will conceal. If you refuse the light, listen, there's going to come a time where you no longer are open to the light at all. But if you will listen to the light, if you will open up your heart to the light, guess what? God will show you more light. And more light. And if you look at it and read it and by faith believe it, then God will give you more and more light. He'll turn on the light of his word in your heart. In essence, if you use the light and put it on a candlestick, he's going to give you more. It's where a candle belongs, right? It doesn't belong under a bed. It doesn't belong in a bushel. It belongs on a candlestick. Be careful not to eclipse the light of God's Word presenting to us and to others the kingdom of God. Remember what the psalmist said, Psalm 119, 105. Thy Word is a what? lamp into my feet. And it is a what? Light into my path. You can either open it and read it and believe it, and God will continue to give you more and more and more light, or you can hide it away and choose rather to walk in darkness. And if you reject the kingdom of God and His redemptive provision, which the Word of God reveals to us, then the truth is that you will spend eternity in darkness. If you reject the light that's given to you of the truth, and you, you, you insist on walking in darkness... When it comes to salvation, then according to the word of God, you will spend eternity in darkness, separated from the presence of God in a place of judgment the Bible calls hell. But the good news is that God loves you. <laughs> the good news is that God made a way, right? The redemptive plan. Redemption. We talked about it this morning. His righteousness for our sin. It's, it's an incredible exchange. He loves us, He's given us the light. So humbly and eagerly receive the light, meditate on it, believe it by faith. I think it's it's awesome in John chapter four to see the Lord's encounter with the woman at the well, how he deals with her and and her view of him, how it changes. Have you ever noticed this? That first of all, she called him a Jew. But then as the conversation began or continued, she called him sir, sir. And then from Sir, she called him a prophet. And by the end of the conversation, she is calling him Lord. Lord. You know what happened? She opened her heart to the light. And little by little, God began to reveal more and more to her. And all of a sudden, her view changed of God, of Jesus. At first, he was just a man. At first, he was just a Jew. But by the end, she had confessed him as Messiah and Christ. The point is we either lose or use what we are given. And it all comes down to humility and pride, accepting the word of God. And this doesn't just go for those who are seeking, who, who haven't been saved. It goes for those of us who have been saved as well. Because the truth is, is that this is our light. This is our guide. It's our... It gives us light for our pathway in this world. And if we read it and meditate on it and and, and emerge ourselves in it, God will continue to give us more and more and more light and more and more understanding. But if you set it on the bookshelf and you only bring it in here on Sunday morning and back on Sunday night, which I'm glad you're here, but if this is the only time you ever read it, then... He's not going to reveal more and more to you. So the first thing is to receive the king's word humbly and eagerly. The second thing is to trust the king's work confidently and patiently. This brings us to the second parable. Look at verse number 26. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep, and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. I love that little phrase. I mean, he's just going to bed every night, getting up the next morning, going to bed, getting up the next morning. But listen, God is at work. God is at work. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear. After that, the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth immediately, he putteth in the sickle because the harvest has come. He's going back to the parable that we just covered in verses 1-20 through of the seed and the sower and the soils. And the message here is now to the sowers who have sown the seed of the gospel and it describes that which has fallen on good ground. Notice again what the sower has done after he has planted the seed. Verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day. And he does this over and over again. He's planted, he's watered, he's done what he's supposed to do. Now he's not anxious. He's gotten the seed out of the barn. Listen, you and I will sleep a lot better at night if we simply are obedient to get the seed out of the barn. We don't have to be pressured or feel the pressure of whether people are going to accept that seed. Our responsibility is to get the seed out of the barn and then to let God do His work, right? And He does His work. The power of the seed is supernatural. And notice what the seed does. It springs, it grows up, and, and the sower doesn't know how. While we're sleeping, God is not. He neither. The Bible says this, He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He is always at work. When we're in a totally different location than someone else who we have witnessed to, guess what? The Holy Spirit of God is still at work in their heart and their life. As they lay their head on their pillow at night, The Spirit of God is still there. The Spirit of God is still there. And if He wants to, guess what, Brother James? He can wake them up in the middle of the night and He can bring conviction to their soul. And while you and I sleep and rise, our God is still at work. Isn't there a great confidence in that? We rest in Him. It is Him that brings the increase. It's almost a commonplace occurrence, one that the farmer often takes for granted. But the fact remains, as you look at it and as you study it, it's a miracle of God. It cannot happen without
1: God, right?
0: John Phillips said this, I love it. Every growing stalk in the farmer's field is a miracle. The farmer owes it all to God. He might be a clever and intelligent farmer, but without God, he can produce nothing. 1 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians chapter 3, remember, God gives the increase. We plant some water, some plant, but it's God that gives the increase. And John chapter 15, Jesus said this, Without me ye can do nothing, but with him all things are possible. It is God who is at work, and so we confidently and patiently trust The work of God, not only for salvation, but also the sanctifying process of the king and people's life after salvation. The seed that goes into good ground now germinates in it. It begins to produce incredible results. Ones that are beyond our comprehension. A farmer doesn't go out and plant seed and and then go out the next morning and expect a, a field full of corn. No, he knows that it's going to take time. And let me just speak here for a moment to the new believers and the new Christians because one thing that burdens me as a pastor is to see Christians come to faith in Christ and very quickly get discouraged, especially in a church setting because they don't know all the stories. And when the pastor says, today we're going to look at a story everybody knows, they don't know it. And they become very discouraged because the things that they struggle with in their life, it seems like everybody else around them has these things all whipped and they're still struggling with them. Let me tell you something. God is sanctifying you. It's a process. It's a work. Salvation happens in a moment, but that sanctifying process is over time. He is sanctifying us. He is growing us. Just stay in this Word. And guess what? He will reveal more and more light to you and more and more truth. And here's what will happen over time. That little seed will begin to grow into something great. Keep keep getting into the Word and letting God grow you and keep sharing, keep planting those seeds. You don't have to have it all figured out to plant the seeds. You can invite people to come to church with you. You can share your story. Your your story of how you put your faith in Jesus Christ.
1: So pray often and plant often. And then we're already on the last point. Number
0: three. Spread the King's word bountifully and expectantly. This really goes back to... Verses one through twenty, a lot of the same principles, but I love this. Listen to look at verse thirty. And he said, "Whereinto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? Jesus is thinking, Okay, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. How can I describe this to you? How can I compare? Can you put yourself in that setting? Can you imagine them just sitting on the edge of their seat like Jerry's doing right now and
1: thinking, what is he going to do to describe the kingdom of God?
0: And he says in verse 31, It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Here they are waiting eagerly. How is Jesus going to explain the kingdom of God to us? I mean, I can only imagine he's going to tell us about this great king who's going to come here in just a few weeks, and he's going to take over, and he's going to set up this big kingdom, and there's going to be this great palace, and we, the disciples, man, we're going to be at the very top of this kingdom because, look, we were the first to follow him. We got in on the ground level of this pyramid. We're really going to benefit.
1: Tell us about this kingdom um it's like a mustard seed the smallest of seeds like you know like a grain of sand and you put it into the ground and then over
0: time it grows into this big tree
1: <laughs> excuse me that's the kingdom of god that's the kingdom of god which, by the way, must have began to make sense to them as they go through the book of Acts, right? He says, the
0: fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. What's that all about? Well, it's amazing that this is a fulfillment of a prophecy from Ezekiel chapter 17, that Jesus would come and under His rule and reign reign people from all the nations would be brought to salvation and the nations are described in Ezekiel 17 as birds coming to lodge in a tree. He uses that same example and illustration in Ezekiel 31. And then Daniel chapter 4, when Nebuchadnezzar was having dreams about his kingdom, the nations of the kingdoms are described as birds taking shelter in trees. So listen... This, the, the, those that he was speaking to, they knew those Old Testament stories. Maybe they didn't make a whole lot of sense to them. And Jesus says, no, this is the kingdom of God. It's like a little mustard seed that when it goes into the ground, over time it grows into
1: this tree and the, the, the birds come and they take shelter in those branches in the kingdom of God. That's what it's like. The imagery, it's purposeful.
0: His disciples then would have understood this. The kingdom of God. It's like a tiny seed. And listen, remember those misfit disciples that we talked about? Those guys who didn't really fit the qualifications? The guys that were the underdogs. The guys that were outnumbered greatly. They had no idea. Think about the parable. They had no idea that 2,000 plus years later, that tree would still be here and growing. And that billions of people would have come to faith in Jesus
1: Christ. You've got to remember, when he gives this parable, it's like a mustard seed, this movement. There's only a
0: few of them. In fact, remember after the resurrection, when they all meet up in the upper room, there's what, 120 of them? There's just a small amount. Remember... The crowds come to
1: hear the parables. The crowds come to hear the miracles. But what do they do? They go away and there's only a few left. It's a mustard seed. But he wants them to know
0: it's going to grow. And they began to get a glimpse of this, didn't they? Acts chapter 2, when Peter stood up on Pentecost and preached Jesus and salvation, and in one service, 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. Just a few days later, thousands more come to faith in Christ. Oh, they're seeing that little sprout come up out of the ground now. It was just a mustard seed, but now we're beginning to see it grow. And now you and I have the incredible, awesome privilege of looking back and seeing how that little
1: mustard seed has grown into billions and billions of people coming to faith in Jesus. We're part of the
0: kingdom that Jesus describes. He describes us. Kingdom also in Revelation 7. After this, I behold, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, of all kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood around about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God
1: forever and ever. Amen.
0: Oh, that little mustard seed. (laughs) One day that kingdom is going to be fulfilled with people from every tribe and every nation around the throne, worshiping Jesus Christ. And as we said in our last two sermons, the seed is something that not only we've accepted personally, but we have the responsibility to sow it everywhere we go. You knew I was going to get there, didn't you? Because that's where the parable goes. It makes no sense for a farmer to keep the seed in his pocket,
1: in his pouch. makes no sense for us to have barns just full of seed. But this is the
0: life that so many Christians live. Boy, I sure am thankful that
1: I'm a part of that kingdom. Well, I am too, but what are we doing to get other people in?
0: We have the light that can bring hope. We have the light that can bring people to faith in Christ. They're living in darkness. They're walking in darkness. We have the light. Did you know that darkness can never stop light when light is present? Darkness can never cover light when light is present. And you can hide it under a a bed, under a bushel,
1: and it's dark. But if you bring light into a dark room, what happens? The light wins, right? The light wins. And the king has commissioned us to go and to spread the good news of the kingdom
0: of God. The king has come and provided a way of redemption. Tell somebody, that's that's the kingdom of God. The redemption, the the rule and reign of God through Jesus. The truth is, and the sad reality is, is that there are at least 3.2 billion people who still have not heard the good news of the kingdom of God. I want that number to sink into your head. 3.2 billion people. Many who do not even have a Bible in their language. I was reading this week about a single young man named Jonathan about 20 years ago, and we're done. We're finished. He's a single young man. He's passionate about the gospel. God's working in his heart. He wants to see people saved. And he and some of his friends are decide before we get married, before we start families, before we begin whatever it is God wants us to do, we want to take a trip, a guy's trip, into some rough areas, places that we may never get to go again. Jonathan and some of his friends, they... They left the United States, they went to this very remote area, they knew that there were some missionaries there, and one day in a remote mountainous area, they came to the missionaries that they knew were there serving, and after spending several days with them and talking to them, they realized that there were some areas not far from them where they had never been able yet to take the gospel, and they asked these young men, we don't know what's there, would you guys want to go with an interpreter and some literature and share the gospel with these people who, they have no Bible, they have no knowledge, I mean, you have to start at the very beginning. And these guys said, sure, we'd love to go, and so they go into this area, this remote area, this little village, and through a translator, they began to ask, you know, some, some very introductory questions, like, how did we all get here? We don't know how we got here. And began to try to give them answers for that. And then where does the water come from to water the crops that you have here? Where does that water come from? We don't know where that water comes from. We use it, but we don't know where it comes from. We know it comes from the sky, but we don't know how it gets here.
1: And then they ask them, where do we go after we die? They say no one's ever told us where we go
0: when we die. We don't... We haven't even really thought about where we go when we die. Hours and hours they spend with these people. Finally, they go into one of the huts, and one of the men that's there with them, that's helping them, says, hey, let me get you guys something to drink. It's been a long day. And he goes in, and of course, Jonathan is expecting the guy to come back with a water, but he doesn't come back with water.
1: He comes back with Coca-Cola. And Jonathan thought, Coca-Cola? This is awesome. Until the Holy Spirit said, yeah, they have Coca-Cola, but they've never heard of God. And the Holy Spirit convicted him
0: and should convict us that a bottling company in Atlanta, Georgia, has done a better job at promoting brown sugar and getting it around the world then the church has the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact is, when people see this symbol, 94% of the world recognizes this symbol. 94%. And there are billions of people who have never heard
1: the message of Jesus Christ. Listen, if that's okay with you, it shouldn't be. If that's okay
0: with me, it shouldn't be. That 94% know what this is.
1: But they don't know what the gospel is. That's why, church, that's why I believe
0: personally from the scriptures that every Christian should be involved in getting the gospel around the world. First of all, because Jesus said, here's the Great Commission. Take it to your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And where? To the uttermost parts. The remote parts. The parts where no one has heard.
1: How many times have you heard the gospel? Have you thought about that? How many times would you guess
0: you've heard the gospel? I can tell you this, you've heard it twice today at least. And I would dare say you hear it every week of your life. That's how many times you've heard it. Just do a little multiplication. But here's a convicting question for me. How many times have we shared it?
1: What are we doing to get the gospel around the world? Are we willing to sacrifice so that
0: these Bible translators that we support that are trying their best to get the Scriptures translated into languages where people do not have the Bible? Are we doing our part to get the gospel to the ends of the world? Matthew 24, verse 14 says this, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a
1: witness unto all nations, this kingdom. And then shall the end come. Does that motivate you? The incomes and the chances for people to hear the
0: gospel are no more. It's just an assumption. If you have the seed,
1: throw it. If you have the light, do what with it? Shine it. We do. Yeah, the little kids' song. Let
0: it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. That's what God has called us to do. Not to put it under a bed, in a bu- under a bushel, but to put it where? On a candlestick, where it can light the darkness. That's where it belongs. This is the parable that he gives them at the end of Matthew, Matthew or Mark chapter 4. Father... Thank you for the kingdom of God. Thank you for your redemption plan through Jesus. And Lord, we come to you again humbly tonight, asking you, Lord, to give us the disciplines and the desires to be people who are more in your word. And Lord, that we would love it. We pray, God, that we would not only love it, but we would share it. We pray, God, that we would not be anxious about your part of this plan we're simply to sow and to water and Lord, you give the increase. We understand that this is a miracle. Salvation is a miracle. It cannot happen without you. We can't do it on our own. We can't make it grow. We can plant the seed. And so God, help us to do that everywhere we go. I've been challenged this week by our own members who have shared how they've gotten over some initial fears to be able to share their faith to give out an invite. I've been challenged in my own life the next day. God, give me people. Give me people. Give me courage. Give me boldness. And I pray that our entire church, every member of this church, would be consumed with getting the seed out of the barn and sharing the light that can lead people to eternal life. We pray all this in Christ's precious name. And if you're in agreement with that, say amen. Amen.